Today we've got our concluding episode about Nazi businesses. Um, that's part three of this series of German big business and their relationship with the National Socialist regime. Robert Bosch was a Swabian man with a very fluffy industrialist beard. You might know the type. Looks like, like a, the kind of guy like you want to buy a. Baron. <laughs> looks like the kind of guy you want to buy a vacuum or a washing machine from. Yeah. Yeah, and he apparently had a fascinating personality when he started his company in lovely Stuttgart in 1886. But let's just skip to 1933, why don't we? That's my favorite thing to do in German history. It always is. <laughs> <laughs> like scrolling, scrolling, looking yeah, for yeah, the night. Yeah, yeah, okay, Kaiser. Okay, Nazi. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. In a, quote, tactical move, executives at Bosch Corp affiliated with the Nazis because, quote, it had been strongly advised at the time that in order to avert imminent danger to the company, at least some of the leading gentlemen should acquire formal affiliation with the party. To me, this seems like an immediate caving in to political pressure in 1933 but it's like you gotta bet on if you're big business you gotta bet on all the horses and they're (laughs) you know it's like trump was always saying he's like oh yeah everything's corrupt i donate to both parties like why wouldn't i and this is like basically that same mindset right yeah so as the company kind of diversified it started producing radio gadgets (laughs) i want the gadgets let's get some gadgets in addition to like other electrical devices Um, Bosch Corporation then directly cooperated with the Nazis towards the end of 1933 to run so-called shadow factories that produced weapons on German soil. This was, of course, top secret at the time. Horsha, which is not the correct name of the company, it's Dr. Engineering of Ferdinand Porsche AG. uh, D-R-I-N-G-H-C-F Porsche A-G. That's no, 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 the, but like, like, like H dot C dot F. Like, yeah, D R. It looks like shit. It's the most insane. It's the most insane name because being Germany, you need to put your full title on everything you do. Like this, for anyone that hasn't lived in Germany, you see these hilarious like, um, for like academics or also for business people that have academic degrees. They'll have like Herr Professor Doctor 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 like I've seen three doctors like yeah here's a I'm Professor just, Doctor I just Doctor. Google Doctor 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 to see if there was a Doctor 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 and I just okay. I mean this he's this is only three doctors so, this, so this, he's a modest man he's a this modest is some man. guy at the Centrum for for Zahnmedizin and yes a dentist with <laughs> yeah. three doctors you're gonna have the cleanest teeth in history with that guy. <laughs> So that's the full name of the company. So you have to know it because you have to know that you're buying your car from a doctor. It's not just any car. Porsche actually won a contract for, fair to say, maybe the most famous car of all time. I don't know. It's up there. The Volkswagen Beetle in 1935. So he actually designed the the famous Volkswagen, their, their first car, the car for the people. Throughout all of the war, the company used forced labor, primarily Polish, and they actually denied this for decades. So again, one of these examples flying in the face of this idea that they're sort of the the good companies that have come to terms with their history and are acknowledging it. They just flat out denied it. Let's go stateside. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yes, let's go stateside with IBM. So unlike our previous five or 
eight companies. The company that I'm looking at is an American company, uh, IBM, which, yeah, I have here in my notes written, it's a household name, which <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that, just because... Yeah, it it is. It's IBM, not wrong. It's... International business machines. Um, <laughs> Sounds like an alien described a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this company, I mean, their their connection to the Holocaust has been pretty widely documented. Uh, there's lots of articles written about it. I think sort of around 2000, 2002. But but yeah, despite the fact that it's been widely documented, I think it's yeah still worth reflecting on sort of the way that, uh, especially with IBM, like the way that technologies, you know, that maybe we kind of think is just like net kind of neutral or like see as these sort of like politically neutral maybe things but how they can sort of yeah be be used in these ways that are quite horrific um, right and so the the following information and quotes are uh, from edwin black who is the author of a book called ibm and the holocaust the strategic alliance between nazi germany and america's most powerful corporation um, and specifically, these quotes are taken from a piece he wrote for The Village Voice in, I believe, 2002. And he, he writes that when Adolf Hitler came to power in 1933, most of the world saw a menace to humanity. But IBM saw Nazi Germany as a lucrative trading partner. Its president, Thomas J. Watson, engineered a strategic business alliance between IBM and the Reich, beginning in the first days of the Hitler regime and continuing right through World War II. This alliance catapulted Nazi Germany to become IBM's most important customer outside of the U.S. Uh, IBM and the Nazis jointly designed and IBM exclusively produced technological solutions that enabled Hitler to accelerate and in many ways automate key aspects of his persecution of Jews, homosexuals, Jehovah's Witnesses, and others the Nazis considered enemies. Like, what I found so interesting with this article is it really, like, highlights how much that really actually contributed to the Nazis being able to, like, do, like, the heinous stuff that they did, like, you know, 8 million or whatever people killed in concentration camps. Like, that wouldn't have been possible without this kind it's a of... More, it's a more believable, like, banality of evil thing. And yeah, just to, just to close out on this, just one more note of a piece that I found quite interesting, um, which actually back in 1969 in the American Historical Review from Henry Ashby Turner, Jr., is a great mid-century historian name. I like it. He says that, quote, none of the new evidence contradicts the widespread impression that German big businesses were unenthusiastic about the Weimar Republic. Most were not, as is often assumed, unreconstructed monarchists. They displayed, on the whole, a surprising indifference to governmental forms. What offended them about the new state was its adoption of costly welfare measures, its introduction of compulsory arbitration in disputes between labor and management, and most particularly, the influence it accorded to the pro-labor Social Democratic Party. Uh, so here we're, here we're seeing it. What really worries them is uh, they just don't want to have to pay people and give people any rights. So fascism's looking a little better if you have to start paying your workers decent wages. But, quote, Having grown impatient with the multiplicity of parties with which they had to deal, a number of influential businessmen proposed the formation of a single, united, non-socialist party, a Bürgerliche Einheitspartei, as it was generally labeled. The plan called for such an organization to absorb the squabbling older parties, sweep away their superfluous and anachronistic ideological differences, and erect an impregnable barrier to Marxism. 
And so that's in the the twenties when they're discussing that. That's what businesses want. Huh. And <laughs> it sounds an awful lot like what happened with a a new party to sweep away all the old ones and erect an impregnable barrier to Marxism by rounding up all the social democrats and communists and killing them. So you know. Don't want to overstate it. Don't want to say that's exactly what they had in mind. But this thing that business was dreaming of and what they wanted the German political system to look like, it's very clear that the Nazi party delivered on what business wanted. And as we've shown, business in a lot of ways delivered on exactly what the Nazis wanted in turn. All right. Is that is that it? I think that wraps it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe we'll come back to this. I think there's a lot of Obviously, the ties between Nazis and, you know, name German institution uh, post-war uh, are like, it, you could do just dozens on that. And so we'll, we'll get back to this concept. But I think, yeah, it's a, a good sampling of companies and then also looking at the sort of bigger picture connections. I think uh, that'll do it on this series for now. We've been around for like six months now. Right? It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> Go team. You guys, too. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. That's that's all. That's all from us. Thanks a lot. Hey, it's producer Isaac here. That was a preview of our premium episode. You can listen to the whole episode if you become a supporter of Spaßbremse on Patreon. There will be a link to our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you're not able to support us monetarily right now, we totally get it. There will be another full-length episode coming to your podcast feeds next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Tschüss!